Welcome everyone to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin and I am your host. This week's episode is with Bobby Ray Bunch. Bobby Ray Bunch is a veteran, comedian, musician, realtor, event planner, human being, many things. We discussed a lot. We talked about comparing ourselves to others, his experience in the military, ketamine therapy, self-talk, self-sabotage, mental well-being, stand-up comedy, because we both do a little bit of that, and many other things. Another thing that he talked about that I really enjoyed was taking responsibility for your mental health and understanding that, hey, we were dealt a bad hand, but it's our responsibility to get better and work on it and do what we need to do and take action. So I really liked that and really liked our conversation. It was great. And we talked for a little bit longer than I normally do on these episodes lately, but it happens. And I think you'll really enjoy it. If you don't, let me know. Or don't, it's fine. But yeah, this is episode number 78 with Bobby Raybunch. to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin and I'm your host. Today's guest is Bobby Ray Bunch. You want me to say your full name like that? or do you That want is to my say, name. Yeah. That is your full name. Yeah. And that is your real name. That's on a birth certificate yeah. that two adults agreed upon. I was talking to my brother earlier and because I was like, my brother's a couple years younger than you. He went to Assumption. I was like, do you know this guy? He's like, I've heard the name. And I'm like, and he's like, is that his real name? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. One time I did a, uh, a comedy club in Southern Illinois. It's no longer open, but the the tickets said Bubba Ray Ranch. <laughs> and so I go to the I go to the it's owner stage name. and I go, what I go, who's Bubba Ray Ranch? He goes, Well that's you. I go, No, it's not. My name's Bobby Ray Bunch. He's like, No, it's not. I go, Yeah, you're right. You would know my name better than, than, <laughs> than me. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm named after my Uncle Bob and my Uncle Ray on my mom's side. And they just went with Bobby instead of Robert or something like that. So we wanted him to be a kid his whole life. It, I mean, my name sounds like when cousins play spin the bottle, you know, it's, it's not, I used to hate my name, but I've embraced yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You could legally change it. You could legally change I'm it or you could that. go Bob and that's. I went by Bob when I was younger. So like if, really? if you are around me and I'm with people that I grew up with, a lot of them call me Bob. Okay. And then when I went in the military, everyone called me Bobby, which is weird because usually in the military, everyone More calls official. you by your last name. Oh, yeah, yeah. But everyone always called me Bobby, like even colonels and stuff, you know, it was, it was, or Bobby Ray or whatever. And uh, and so now it's like a mixture. Some people call me BRB. Some people call me Bobby Ray. Some people call me Bobby. What I found, though, is like older guys, if I introduce them like in a professional environment and I say, yeah, my name is Bobby, they are like, yeah, no, I'm going to call you Bob. They, they will not call me Bobby. Yeah. So like, and I don't mind. I'll take Bob or Bob. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. So I just find it funny. Yeah. 
so you do a lot of different stuff. So you've done comedy, music, you're mm-hmm. a realtor now. Mm-hmm. How long have you been a realtor for? Three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. What were you doing before that? Uh, I own an event company. Okay. And uh, so I quit my full-time job in 2016. I was doing uh, dental IT sales for a startup and it kind of grown the Quad City market and some other uh, markets in Eastern Iowa. And I enjoyed it, but I was playing a lot of live music at the time, and I was mm-hmm. doing quite a bit of stand-up at the time, and I just have always wanted to be self-employed. Oh, yeah. And so I quit my job November of 2016, and then I was just full-time music, full-time comedy, and then I started this event that blew up. I had no idea. I had no event production experience or anything, and I yeah. started this event called Food Truck Fight, where I got these. Yeah, which just got real big. Yeah, we, I mean, a couple different states and, you know, doing three or four of them a year. And, uh, and then I do like a craft beer tasting event in a couple different cities. And then we collaborate with other businesses and cities on events mm-hmm. and things. And so that was all going really well into 2020. And uh, then the pandemic happened. And yeah. my entire livelihood was getting people together. Yeah. And I'm not really one to sit on my hands. And so I just sat in my office for two months and online got my real estate license Yeah, and then just hit the ground running. I had no idea what to expect, but yeah. I knew I'd be, I knew I'd be good at it, but I didn't know how quickly it would take off. Yeah. And it took off. And then the music gigs came back and mm. then the comedy came back and then the events came back. And so then I'm, you know, doing all of that and it's, uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I found a way to, truly do what I love for a living Mm -hmm. and it's working with people. It's entertaining people. Um, you know, sometimes you change somebody's life with, you know, finding them a first time house or, you know, selling their house for more than they ever imagined or just putting on a really great event that they brought their family to. And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I've ever done anything like that for anybody with my comedy, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy what I do. I've found a good, good little program I put together. And the music gigs probably pay better. I mean, generally. Then com- yeah. I mean, and that was the thing is when I was on the road a lot doing comedy, I was mostly a feature act. So I'm driving to Bismarck, North Dakota for 400 bucks when I could have just gone down the street and played wagon wheel for a couple hours and made for the, the same, same amount, money, you know? Yeah. So then I started gearing more towards playing music and then I really got into, and now what I do a lot of is just private parties and corporate events and, yeah. Um, so that's like my niche now, I would say. From music or comedy, are they both? Both. Yeah. Will you do both in one night? Yes. Okay. Yep. And that's like, especially like for- open for yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, especially for uh, company Christmas parties and things oh, yeah. like that, I will give them the option. I'll say, you know, we could do a little uh, music during cocktail hour and then you guys eat and then we'll do comedy and then I can end the night with some music and and works out pretty well. And it's just solo. Yeah, sometimes I play with like a duo or a trio, yeah. things like that. But it's usually, I mean, I'm 99% of the time acoustic yeah, and just doing acoustic covers. I don't write my own songs or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But I do enjoy, you know, taking a song and making a kind of a cool acoustic cover of it. Yeah, kind of messing with it a little mm-hmm. bit or yeah. changing some words. Not changing Not words, just changing, changing the style of it. Okay. You know, like, you know, Gangsta's Paradise. Yeah. I like doing the acoustic version of that or, um, you know. Hey Ya by Outcast or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, not to brag, but I won the 2010 Scott Community College Talent Show <laughs> by playing Hey Ya and Baby One More Time, Britney Spears. 
I mean, that's First a classic. Place, $100. Uh, yeah. That was a big deal. $100. It's on my LinkedIn. Uh, it's yeah. on my LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So ma- mainly you've been up to more of the events and obviously the housing market's crazy right now. Yeah. Still. Yeah. It's, you know, the news loves giving it a bad. I always tell people in the, you know, here in the Quad Cities, I go, don't get your real estate news from the national media because comparing a, a market in Las Vegas or yeah. Los Angeles is just not the same. And not at all. And, you know, we still have a market here where you can buy a house for under $100,000. And that is unheard of in most places in the United States. But the problem is we have record low inventory. So the housing prices have not come down, but with, you know, rates have gone up and then they're kind of coming back down now, but it just makes it way more expensive. And then mentally, everyone is still thinking about the two and a half, three percent rates from 2020 and 2021. And th- that was just unrealistic and it's never going to happen again. So right now we're in the low sixes, which is pretty good. You know, it's really yeah. not that bad. And I always tell people, if you can afford the payment, you're better off buying a house than, than renting. But if you can't afford the payment, then don't buy a house. Yeah. It's really as simple as yeah. that. You know, and everyone's like, I'm never going to be able to buy a house. Well, let's, let's have that conversation. I mean, if, you know, there's FHA loans where you only have to put 3.5% down. There's a lot of conventional loans that only require 5% down, and you won't have to pay that mortgage insurance. And it's, it all depends on your credit and, and a lot of those things, how much yeah. you, know, you, you, know, you would make a year and, and things along those lines. But the, the idea of owning a home is not as impossible as a lot of the news outlets make it to be. Yeah. Or a lot of the younger generation, you know, people in their early 20s have just convinced themselves, I'm never going to buy a house. Yeah, it's intimidating mm-hmm. and they just think it's just... Yeah, and it's not that big of a deal. Astronomically expensive. Yeah, and, it's yeah. not that big of a deal. I mean... No, it's not. My mortgage is... Fifteen hundred dollars. Well, I pay overpay. It's so I pay fifteen hundred dollars a month. Like, there's, con, there's apartments in Bettendorf and Davenport that are two bedroom that are more than that. Yeah. So, I'll take that every day and build equity, and then you sell it and put that towards something else. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, have you gotten into the property game a little bit, like of your own? That's a twenty twenty four thing. That <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't yet. Um, I went through a divorce this year, so I wanted to wait until that was yeah. finalized before I started buying more assets and things Fair. like that. Yeah. But I would definitely, I'm not a handy person. Like I tell people I can't even fix a stapler. So oh, really? I, if I do flip a house, like I'm going to need a lot of guys. professional help, yeah. which costs more money. And, yeah. But then I'll, I would like to learn along the way, you know, and then I don't think I'll ever be rewiring a house or anything like that, but I'll learn how to do flooring and and I can paint. It's satisfying. Like I redid my kitchen. I had help, but like I helped do it. Yeah. And it was like really satisfying to get, you know, be like, obviously there's little spots. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. (laughs) Like in the tile, like we did the the tile floor, like nobody notices except for me, but exactly. It'll drive you crazy, but nobody's ever going to pick it out. Yeah. Stupid stuff, painting stuff. Yeah. And with rentals, like I would love to have some rentals because yeah. I would be, you know, the way a landlord's supposed to be and actually yeah. take care of the property and, and, um, you know, make sure that their living conditions are the way they're supposed to be. Yeah. And put money back into it. Exactly. Exactly. And every very wealthy and successful person I know owns property yeah. and it is part of my retirement plan and so that's kind of what i'm going to get into next year with with whatever we'll see yeah yeah it's uh just finding good tenants i've heard is the toughest part 
Yeah, but it all depends on your interview process, right? Yeah. And, you know, you, you're not always going to get it right. But yeah. Again, I just think if you treat people a certain way, then you're most likely going to get that back. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of these people that are tough tenants also have a, a tough landlord that isn't there for them and doesn't understand and has no compassion and, you know, it's very robotic and black and white. And, and I can understand some of that, but at the end of the day, we're just, we're dealing with human people, you know, human yeah. beings here. So you think some of them, uh, at a certain point, they just start to get like monotonous and then just kind of go cold yeah, after I think a while. Depends how big you get. I think like some they of start these... out with that, with the mentality that you have right now and then they yeah. just kind of get cold. I think, I think sometimes tenants become just a, a number to them. Yeah. And, you know, these, these tenants have kids and they have, uh, they get sick and things happen. Life happens, you know? Yeah. And I think that if you can have, don't get me wrong, like there are people out there that will just burn their landlord and don't care oh, yeah. and things like that. But what I'm saying is if you, if you give them the notion that you're there to make sure they have a good house to live in Set and you're going to fix things yeah. and you're going to update and, and, and work with them on stuff, you know, uh, I think you'll get that back. And I truly believe that, but there's probably, a, if I say that in my real estate circles, people are like, you're an idiot, you're going to get burned. And I said, okay, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. You know. I got to try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't really know any other way to be like, I can, I can definitely be an asshole and things like that, but it's usually because it's, you know, something happened and, and I have to be that way. You have you know? to be And that. I'm not, that's not my, I don't like to start out that way or, you know, do business that way at all. Like I'm a very uh, compassionate realtor and I know realtors get a bad rap. Because there are a lot of bad ones. There's oh. not a there's not a large barrier to entry to get into the yeah. business, and um, and so I always just promised myself I will always do things the right way. I'll always do things by the book. Um, I'll never put my interest ahead of any client's interest, and um, and it's worked for me. So it's good. I mean, that's the way to do it. I mean, you got to treat people the way that you want to be treated, like the old golden rule, you know. Create, create raving fans, no matter what you do, yeah. right? Whether it's me playing Wagon Wheel, you know? Yeah. I want people to be like, I really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even though I hate playing that song. <laughs> yeah, But yeah. I want to create raving fans so that when they think of live music and we want to hire somebody to come play at our house or for my business, I want them to think of me. And, and same with real estate. And, you know, comedy, like, I, I have a tough time still calling myself a comedian because I'm not putting in the work and getting on stage as much as I used to or as much as I should be. And... I, you know, I'll develop new material here and there, but at the end of the day, like my act is my act and, and I get it. Like it's not, yeah, I'm not breaking any new ground here talking about parking at Casey's. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like an itch though. Like, you yeah, scratch I your love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And I've always, I've tried to get away from comedy. I've been like, I'm done. And it just, it's ingrained in me. I've always been a class clown. I always love making people laugh yeah, yeah. and I'm quick. Yeah. And so that helps a lot. There is no better feeling in the world than crushing oh, yeah. in front of a sold out crowd. But there really aren't a lot of worse feelings than bombing so early into your set. And you look at your watch and you go, I have to talk for 20 more minutes. And they hate me. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not Bill Burr. Like, I'm not going to dig myself out of that. <laughs> I've just accepted that they yeah. hate me. Yeah. And that mostly happens at corporate events. So like, especially early on when I just didn't know how to pivot or do crowd work yeah. or anything like that, you know, cause I used to care so much. I wanted everyone in the crowd to like me. Yeah. Well, of course. And now that I don't care, 
and now that comedy is not my livelihood, it's it actually, in my opinion, it made me a better comedian because I get to be more you're not, authentic. That's not in the back of your head. Exactly. I'm yeah. not like, oh, well, if this doesn't go well, I'm never going to get booked here again. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope I get booked again. Yeah. But if I don't, it's not going to ruin my day. Yeah. Caring too much kind of ruins ruins the act sometimes. It can. Yeah. And I think it's common in, in, in what anyone does, right? I mean, you, I think human beings, we have an innate ability to care what everyone else thinks and mm. that's and that's yeah. why social media is so horrible this is we're comparing ourselves to all these people and it's not real none of it's real no right i mean you see some of you see these influencers out in the wild and, and you're just like oh god that's not real you know yeah. what are you doing yeah. um but then you see it on their instagram and you're like that looks amazing you know? yeah, yeah like oh that's not your yacht okay that's not your car that's no. you're not on a private jet you know? no so i you know, I think it's impossible to not care what people think about you, but I think it yeah. is it is possible to maintain your own expectations and 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 I think it just kind of comes down to self talk, right? I mean, how many people just are horrible to themselves? Oh, a and, lot. And the things they say to themselves on a daily basis. And that took me a really, really long time to to figure out and and realize something that simple of just how you talk to yourself yeah, can impact everything you do and, and how you feel and, and the way you talk to people and the way you do your job and, and the way you spend time with yourself. Cause you, you know, at the end of the day, you spend a lot of time with yourself. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm in my head 24 seven. Oh yeah. And if I'm sitting there berating myself and saying, God, you're losing your hair and you're ugly and <laughs> yeah, you're like, only five, eight with heels on, you know, it's uh, like, yeah, that, that'll spill over into how I project myself to people mm-hmm. builds insecurity and it builds just a complete foundation of negativity that is never going to stand. You can, you can build whatever you want on top of it. It's not going to work. Yeah. So I think that's really important to remember. And I even, I mean, I still remind myself of it all the time. You know, you have to remind yourself of it. Otherwise it starts happening. Sometimes <laughs> it's a job, you know, like yeah. mental well being is a job and you know, those of us that suffer from depression and anxiety and, and, and all those, all those demons in our head, it's like, yeah, we got dealt a bad hand, but you know, I truly believe in the saying that, you know, depression and the anxiety and and whatever you're suffering from, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Exactly. That's how I feel about, that's how we treat, like I'm, I'm in recovery from, you know, and that's how we talk about addiction. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing. Yeah. Like, you haven't like some people some people argue it's a disease it's not a disease but like if you look at it that way as a disease like i have this i'm an i have an addiction i'm addicted to basically anything that takes me out of my head Mm -hmm. so i have to keep that in check sure and that could be drugs that could be gambling that could be binge watching tv shows isolating oh isolating i was i've done that Yeah. yeah i loved it yeah. I loved isolating. Yeah. COVID was great for a while. I'm, I would do another COVID, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, like I, I was talking to a buddy of mine and he's like, yeah, this guy, I know, uh, he got, he had the option of two days in jail or four days of house arrest. And I go, what's that mean? He goes, he just couldn't leave his house for four days. I'm like, I would love house arrest. Yeah. Can I get a house yeah, arrest? Yeah. You yeah. mean I can't leave for four days? Darn it. Dude, I would I would be doing 82 game seasons on NBA 2K, 12 minute quarters, <laughs> running a franchise. It'd be the most. Yeah, it'd be great. 
I'd have a record, but you know, <laughs> yeah. gotta look at the bright side. Yeah, right? glass half full. Yeah. Oh man. So, I yeah, you mentioned that you were in the military. So let's kind of go back a little bit. Did you go out of the, go into the military like right after high school? Yeah. Or? So kind of funny how all that happened. Like my sister is two years older than me, and she graduated high school and went in the Marines. Okay. And so she was actually in boot camp during 9-11, when 9-11 happened. Shit. And so I was a junior in high school, and then I kind of just watched what she was doing, and I didn't know, you know, the way I was raised, like, we didn't, I didn't have somebody being like, you know, here's an ACT prep course. Hey, let's go, let's go visit colleges. Like, there was, there was nothing, like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have that guidance, and so it was either stick around, go to community college, go paint for my dad. Yeah. You know, or go in the military. And so my sister had her recruiter call me. So I went to the Marine recruiting office and these two guys, like I was sitting in a chair and these two guys just like stood over me, like pointing. And I was just like, yeah, I don't think this is my thing. Yeah. And um, I didn't cry. Like, I don't care what they said. You're just like, yeah, this is. It was just intense, you know. And so I. Uh, I left and as I'm, as I'm walking out, this guy, cause air force recruiting office was right there. And he's like, what's going on? You know, I think he poached me or whatever. Yeah. And, and so I, in school, like learning Spanish came very easy to me hmm. and I loved it. And I still love speaking Spanish when I can. I don't speak it as well as I used to, but I loved that aspect of like, you know, learning a language and the culture behind it and, and everything. And so. I wanted to go in as a linguist and I scored high enough on my ASVAB um, that I was a, I qualified for a, a linguist uh, position, but you, they give you a test and the test they give you is a fake language that you have to decipher and translate. And, mm. I, and I wasn't able to do that. And so I failed it. So then they were like, well, what else do you want to do? I was like, I want to travel. I just want to be all over the world. And they go, well, you, uh, you probably like being a loadmaster. And I go, what's a loadmaster? And they said, well, you get a, attached to like a cargo plane and you're responsible for the weights and measures of the aircraft for when they're loading cargo and things like that to make sure it can still fly. And I go, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm great with numbers, love traveling. So in the middle of boot camp, they, uh, we had to do a flight physical. And uh, anyone with a flying job <clears throat> goes through a flight physical. And I found out that I can't bow south. I can't pop both my ears. And so if you're going to be flying all the time, you have to be able to, plug your nose and close your mouth and, and pop your ears because of all the pressure change and things like okay. that. And I wasn't able to. And Weird. so they said, okay, uh, you have two choices. You can separate from the military and we'll send you home. Or um, you can go in is what's called open general. And there's a list of jobs that need to be filled that are critically manned. And, uh, and so I said, yeah, I want to stay in. So they put me in security forces, which is, uh, you know, police in the United States Air Force. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn it. And oh, this God. was, this, yeah, I was like, I'm a cop, dad. <laughs> and so this was, you know, beginning of 2004, you know, the Iraq war is like hot, heavy, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm getting deployed. Like this sucks. And yeah. And I remember uh, before I left Lackland Air Force Base to go to my first duty station, I ran into my drill instructor <clears throat> and he's like, where are you going? And I said, I'm, I'm getting stationed at, RAF Lakenheath in, in England. And he goes, you'll have time to have one beer before they send your ass to the desert. And I remember I just like started crying. Yeah, that's scary. You know, How old were you at the time? 19. Ugh. 
And so I got yeah. to my first base and uh, I'd been out of the country before. I'd been away from home before, but I just remember calling my dad. Uh, I was there for like two weeks. I called my, I'm like, I want to come home. Like this, He's like, sorry, they own you. You're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean. So then I had to, I had to make a choice. Like, do I want to, do I want to figure this out and make the best of it? Or do I want to wallow and. Yeah whine about it you know and so luckily i met some really really great people that i worked with and i had a really really good supervisor and uh and then about six months later i got deployed mm -hmm. um but i went to cutter which was like al udid air base was like an r and r base it still is and so like the guys that are in what's r and r rest and relaxation okay. and so the guys that are in afghanistan and all all the crappy places you know they get to go there for like a week and just recharge you know and so it wasn't like a combat deployment or anything like that um just did like flight line security perimeter security entry point checks and, and things along those lines but then um, my second base i got a special duty assignment to andrews air force base to work for air force one and um they promised me that i wouldn't deploy if i took that job okay <clears throat> so i extended my contract went to andrews and um yeah, they lied. <laughs> and so I got sent to uh, oh, I got sent to Camp Buka, which was a prison in southern Iraq in 2007. And I was there pretty much the whole year. And it was during the surge. And um, they had deployed thousands of more troops to Iraq. And the Marines were just sweeping villages of like, if, if a bomb or an IED went off, you know, improvised explosive device, they would sweep a town and detain any male between the ages of like 18 and 50 and just take them yeah and then they'd put them in this open air prison that i was working and so there was 33,000 detainees divided between 33 compounds so our compound would range between 900 and 1100 detainees and Jeez. um some of these guys like spoke english and, and things like that and so I'd, I'd like talk to them through the fence you know and got to know a couple of them and I'd be like, how did you want to appear? And they're like, I was in my house, like having dinner, and you guys <laughs> kicked the door in and grabbed me. Jeez. And I go, how long you been here? Oh, like a year. And I go, when are you gonna get out? He's like, once I get to see a lawyer. I mean, just and so it, like really kind of changed my perspective. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, what are we? Mm. What are we doing here? And don't get me wrong, like there was definitely some some bad people over there, but yeah, for sure. Um you know, a lot of these guys were just like defending their country like we would, you know? And yeah. so it really opened my eyes. And, uh, so I got back from camp Buka and I was, I was messed up cause like we were getting mortared every day. Um, there's escape attempts all the time. Um, guys in my unit would be going out for, uh, convoys and not coming back. And, um, mm. And so when I got back, it was like December of 07. And I remember I was with my dad in Maryland and we were walking like we had, we were walking through a parking lot and a, a garbage truck like dropped uh, a dumpster and I hit the deck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, yeah. it was just like, you know, shell shock. Yeah. But in the military, like you can't, you can't be like, I want to get, help because i had a higher and top secret clearance so if i would have went to a therapist or gone to mental health or anything like that i would have lost my clearance 
which is wild. Or I would have not been able to carry a gun, which was my whole job. Yeah. And so you're terrified of admitting, you know, and then also the way I was raised, you know, had a traumatic childhood. And I remember when I was like in ninth grade, I went to my dad and I was like, I want to go to see a therapist. He's like, for what? Mm. And I go, well, there's just some things I want to talk about. He's like, well, you can talk to me. And I go, well, what? I? I go, what if I want to talk about you? He's like, what? Just say it to my face. You know, so like therapy was stupid. Depression didn't exist. Yeah. Anxieties for gays, whatever yeah, my dad would say. Yeah, you know? something reckless. Um, yeah. Those are my dad's words, not mine. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I just always had that mentality of like, well, you just need to overcome it. And so you just start drinking and whatever. Yeah. So, you know, long story short, I got out of the military in 2009. And I honestly thought like, okay, I've been through the worst getting out. And going back home and being a civilian is going to be the easiest thing I've ever done. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. That Making that transition of like, you know, I, I rose through the ranks very quickly. I decorated, um, you know, I'll remove my hand so you can pat me on the back too. <laughs> um, and then I became a nobody. Right? Like I'm a, I'm a community college student. Yeah. And all I want is to feel important again. And so any conversation I would have with somebody I just met, I had to tell them that I was in the military. I had to like bring it up somehow, you yeah. know, just to make sure that they knew Yeah, this is how the hierarchy works, you know, and it was just complete insecurity, mm. depression. Um, Masking. Yeah, I had no idea. I was just, I wanted to be accepted and I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted people to think that I was so You didn't special. have to worry about that when you- Not a bit, yeah. not a bit. You know, I went from working with, the president of the United States, all all the way down to four star generals and senators. And so, what presidents have you met? I met George W. Bush twice, and then uh, and then one time uh, when I was working protective services, my job was to drive a golf cart for Condoleezza Rice while she played five balls per hole, and uh, <laughs> she was cool. Still the firmest handshake I've ever had in my life. Really? But, yeah. And then I met. <laughs> I had a really bad interaction with Hillary Clinton one time, and. Uh, Met, uh, I got yelled at by General Petraeus, um, who's now a Fox News contributor. Um, oh. He was the four-star in charge of the war in Iraq, basically. Okay. But, yeah, he screamed at me one time. Um, <laughs> Justifiably or no? Well, <laughs> the, the CIA would come in and pull guys from the compound and, and interrogate them. And some sometimes I would just happen to be the one that would have to escort them. Mm -hmm. And I would like overhear the tactics they were using and I just didn't agree with it. And so I spoke up mm. and my commander overheard me, you know, basically disparaging their interrogation tactics. And uh, General Petraeus happened to be on base that day and somehow it made it up to him. And yeah, I got screamed at and uh, mm. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. Mm. But yeah. again, that was after like my mind had kind of changed. I'm like, why the fuck are we here? Yeah. What are we doing? And then I remember that base that that base closed in like 2011 or 2012. And out of the, let's call it 30,000 detainees that they would have had, they only transferred like 11 of them to Guantanamo. And so you're telling me 29,989 of these people that were there shouldn't have been there. They just released them. Yeah. And then they closed the base. And so I remember they just messed up their lives. I read it. And I read it in the New yeah. York times. And I remember just being like, what a waste, what a waste of everyone's time, money, resources, their lives, their limbs. 
coming back with all these problems, you know, for what? Yeah. And I know that's a really unpopular thing to say amongst my, my military circles, but I don't care. That That's my experience. And that's I'm not how, the only person in the military. Yes. Yeah, and that's how I that. feel about it, yeah. you know? And so one of my biggest pet peeves is just like these entitled veterans that walk around like they found bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, dude, stop. Because you did that for a little while. I looked for him. I went like this. <laughs> I, I couldn't find him. I couldn't. Yeah. No, but because you did the, well, because you said you came out and you kind of had that entitlement. Well, you did use course. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So you see it. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Veterans Day has got. I mean, Veterans Day is like. Uh, I'm. I'm proud of. You know, I. I did something not a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, you. Um, sacrifice. I think sacrifice. you can. I think you can be proud of that, but yeah. I think it's also like important to, just be realistic about it too. You know, and. If I go out on Veterans Day, which I really don't anymore, but you know, they, they, people they offer free meals and things like that. Yeah. And you go there, and it's just a bunch of guys like wearing these tight shirts with like skulls on them, and they're just treating the staff terribly. You know, oh. it just drives me crazy. And yeah. I, I remember one time I was uh I was at like I forget what store I was at, and this guy in front of me was like, "You guys uh offer a military discount?" She's like, "No, I'm sorry." He's like, "Oh, okay, so you're all just terrorists, I guess." Like, nope, they're a small business. They're not <laughs> yeah. offering you because you were, what, you worked in the kitchen? Like, come on. Yeah, dude. Relax, dude. Yeah. So that stuff kind of drives me crazy. But I've been out so long now that it's a part of what shaped me. And, and it was a good it was a good way for me to, like, grow up. Yeah. And I really had to mature quickly. And, and it probably wasn't always in the healthiest way or anything like that. But there is something to say about living, you know, couple thousand miles away from home for a couple of years. I mean, there, when I left to go to England, I didn't come home for 18 months. Yeah. And, um, I think there's, I think that everyone should leave their hometown. You can always come back. Yeah. You know, and it changed my perspective on a lot of things. So I traveled a lot when I lived in England and I, I traveled a lot while I was in the military. And so then when I got out, I went to, uh, Scott community college and then I went to Iowa and I got my degree in international studies in Spanish. Um, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to continue traveling and, and working with different cultures and mm-hmm. all that stuff fascinates me. I mean, people fascinate me. Yeah. And they're, it's, we're never going to figure everyone out, you know, but it was no. sure fun to try. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's my long-winded, long-winded military history story. No, I appreciate it. Um, and you're welcome. Yeah. And you're welcome. Thank you for your service. Yeah. I mean, Sorry. just yeah. whatever. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> So when did uh, when did the comedy start? When did the comedy start first, or the music start first? Con- well, I you've always played music. My senior year of high school, there was a, a talent show, and I wanted to do stand up comedy for it. Okay, and so I did like I wrote like a five minute set, and, uh, and then I got second place. And I, the guy I lost to like directed a movie mm. about this stupid teddy bear and he called it it was like a french film he called it lay bear and it was all like silent it was actually really good (laughs) and uh that guy justin piseki um was just named one of the top 10 screenwriters to watch in 2024 so it worked they (laughs) they chose the right they chose the right guy Yeah. yeah so um and i started playing bass my junior senior year of high school and then didn't really do much with it. And then my first duty station, I brought a guitar with me. Hmm. I just brought like a, a crappy acoustic guitar. And I just kept playing. I never took lessons or anything. I just like read Restaurant. tablature. And um, and then I remember I was playing 
And somebody's like, oh, you're a good singer. Like, really? Hmm. They go, yeah. Yeah. I it's go, hard to tell. Like, I didn't know. Yeah. But just one person telling me that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, maybe I can sing. And then I learned how to sing and play. And, um, and then when I got out and moved back here, I knew how to sing and play probably like 10 songs. And my buddy Brad, uh, who had, he's played in a band since he was 10 years old, he goes, hey, I have, a, I have an acoustic gig that I have to do and I have to fill four hours. How many songs can you play? I was like, 10. He goes, great, you're going to play all 10. And so before the gig, we got together and he taught me like five or six of the songs he was going to play. And then we just kind of started playing like as an acoustic duo. And I learned so many songs from him. And I learned so much about the music business here locally of just like how to how to get booked, how to deal with a bar owner, how to mm-hmm. deal with a crowd, how to just basically do your job. Yeah. And um and then mostly started playing solo acoustic, but the comedy started. Uh, I did an open mic in 2011 at Penguins Comedy Club when it used to be at the Freight House. Yep. And I did five minutes and uh, went well. And then I came back the next month and I did. It was a monthly mic? Yeah, it was a monthly mic. And I didn't know. I just thought like the only way to do comedy is to go to a comedy club. I didn't realize that people had open mics at a bar yeah, or, yeah, or whatever, yeah. right? So a month later, I go back and did pretty well. And then Penguins closed. And I go, well, there goes my comedy career. Like that, it's over. That's, yeah, that yeah. Was, that's the end of it. And then uh, like a year later, there was an open mic at what used to be a strip club. And then it turned into a bar. So behind the bar was a stage. Where was this at? Oh, God, like East Moline somewhere. Oh, I wouldn't know, yeah. If you talk to James Draper, he'd remember the name. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And he's brought it up before. Yeah. Did he host it? Yes. Okay. Okay. So then I did comedy there and then just kept doing open mics. And then I got booked for a showcase. And then then I got hooked up with a booking agent and just started, like, featuring. And then I moved to Iowa City. And then I was doing, like, two open mics a week. Uh, then I started running a showcase at the mill, RIP the mill. Mm. And, uh, and then I was just on the road all the time. And like, I would tell my professors like, yeah, I'm not gonna be in class much. And they're like, well, attendance is a big part of your grade. I go, we're gonna have to figure something out. Cause like, I'm a professional comedian and I'm gonna be on the road. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so that's what I did. I toured for a couple years and then, um, then I graduated college and I was like, okay, I need to get a real job. Yeah. And so I did, and I hated, I hated, I hated yeah, having yeah. a real job. And then I was still doing stand up when I could, and then yeah, and then I've like gotten really back into it, and then kind of pulled back, and then now I think I've kind of found my my rhythm with it. Like I'm, I'm good. Like yeah, as I told you, like I went to your open mic, and I go, man, I haven't been in an open mic in a long time. Yeah, because I've been at it for like two and a half years. I'm like, because I've seen, yeah, I'm like I know this guy, and I had, I had seen you perform. I think it was. At the old Raccoon Motel. Yeah. Yeah, I used to go to those mics before I performed. And then, yeah, I would go so much. Schlichting, I've known Schlichting because I know his brother. Okay. He was like, hey, uh, when are you going to go up there? I was like, what? And he's like, I could tell you like this. Like, you're here all the time. I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't have any material. And then I was eventually just like, all right. And then he did like a Renwick thing. Yeah. And uh, where you signed up in advance. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. Cool. And I just like 
that didn't completely bomb, but it didn't go well. But whatever. Yeah, I mean, I didn't care. No. I, I, it was so like, but that first time I was so nerve wracked. You don't know what to expect. No. You're just like everybody's just looking at you, like make me laugh. I'm like, whoa. But yeah, it's been like, it's all it's therapeutic for me for sure. Yeah. I mean, bombing obviously still sucks. Um, but that's why I go to open mics. Is like I like almost expect to bomb at mics. I, I'm try. I tried dumb. The more dumber shit that I try, the more shit I can work out. Like whatever, it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, and that way when I go to a show, I know what works. I mean, that's what open mics are for. Um, because like I don't think anyone's too good for open mics or anything like that. Like, and that's probably you probably realize like I haven't been to open mic in a while. Like, yeah, how long had it been? Uh, longer than two years. Probably. Yeah, and it, what I liked about it was. You know, like we were talking about earlier, that was not my demographic. A bunch oh, of yeah. twenty-one-year-olds. Yeah, and, and so it was. It felt good to not do well, because the majority of the shows that I'm doing, I know a lot of people in the crowd. Yeah, and I, you, you know, know what and to it's, do. it's like your home team. Yeah, you know, and so Everyone's rooting for you. Yeah, yeah, everyone wants you to do well. They're gonna laugh harder than they probably should. Yeah, and so that was really good for me to uh, go through that, and and it made me want to come back and do another open mic and like keep okay maybe. Two of those jokes worked, and and uh, and we can develop it and, yeah. and see where it goes, and and so yeah, I'm down. I'm I'm ready to do some more open mics. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't want the other comics to talk to me beforehand, though. You know, because like I am like a professional. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk. To <laughs> if I get on my own table, be like Zach, don't talk to him. <laughs> but you got to know Zach. Uh, Zach was one of my first comedians I had on here. Actually, Zach is Zach's a great guy. He he needs to figure out how to manage his emotions before a show. So I watched it happen and I hope he listens to this. I watched it happen. He gets nervous. No, what happened was he did a show at Renwick a couple weeks ago and the night before he did a showcase and crushed. And he was like, that's the best I've ever felt after a show. And he's like, I had such a great night. And he's like, and I'm just so down in the dumps today. And I go, yeah, but you get to go do a show. He's like, I don't care. I'm in such a bad mood. And Ooh, yeah. And so I was kind of talking to him before the show and I was trying, you know, we were kind of like joking around together, making each other laugh. And I was like, all right, maybe that kind of helped him. And he's yeah. up there. And, and I thought he did great um, at that showcase. And then he was just in a horrible mood afterwards. Mm. I go, dude, this number one is not that serious. <laughs> yeah. It just really isn't. I know it is to you. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just comedy. Do not let it ruin your day. Yeah. Do not let it, I mean, em, embrace. He is, he goes 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's all or nothing. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. But you, you're you only doing yourself and the crowd a disservice if you go on stage in a bad mood. And, you know, I've been there, like, you're on the road, you just drove for 10 hours and you had a horrible day. Yeah, it's hard to flip that, flip that switch. But you have to. Yeah. You have to. It's not about you. People paid to be there. Mm-hmm. put on a show you know you know how many times i you know which it sounds like he did and he's he, and he's he's still well he had a he had something happen at the end of the set where he just completely spaced oh that sucks and it sucked I, every, yeah. everybody's been there you yeah know? and that's not a knock on him it's just like it happened yeah he just goes god I'm, i messed that joke up and then he tried another one he's like i forgot what i was gonna say all righty well that's the end of my so he like i thought he started out really strong mm. and then it just kind of fumbled at the end this is a harrington show no this was at renwick oh this is at renwick okay. but then he was really upset with himself afterward 
there's no reason, you know, shit happens dude. like, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna blow the crowd away every show you do. But as long as you feel like you put on the best show you possibly can, then you should be able to walk away happy. But I think a lot of comedians get so in their head. I mean, obviously the reason why people are getting on stage is something's wrong with them. So, you know, oh, it's, yeah. once, <laughs> yeah. you know, trying to like wrangle a comedian's mental health and, and, you know, regulate their, their mood is next to impossible. But yeah. I think it's important to talk about it because again, at the end of the day, you're telling jokes, you're putting on a show. We're not, you know, when the pandemic happened, we weren't like essential workers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so no. like, Let's take a step back and just realize this is fun. This is supposed to be fun. Did you ever do any dumb Zoom shows? No, hell no. I did. I mean, I did music Zoom stuff. Yeah. Which was fine. But I would have never done. I would have hated that. It's not how comedy is supposed to happen. No. You know, there's no way that it works. Yeah. I started after. Well, I started when things started opening up. So. (laughs) Yeah. You picked the right time. Yeah. Well, I just got in a relationship. I was lonely. My head was like all over the place. Like, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect time. And it's, I mean, you're, you're exposing yourself to be so vulnerable because when I go play live music, I can hide behind my guitar Mm. and I'm also playing other people's songs. So so if you didn't like the song that I just played, you're not getting angry and leaving the room. You're just like, I'll wait for the next song. Yeah. But if you go on stage and it's just you and a microphone and a mic stand, maybe a stool, right? And you tell a joke that somebody finds very offensive, they may flip out, they may yell, they may leave, they may bash you. Yeah. And so you're opening yourself up to a lot of that and you're so vulnerable because you're you're so exposed up there. Yeah. And it's just you. And you're having a one sided conversation with a crowd and you want all of them to be on your side. Oh yeah. And it doesn't work that way. No. So if you like we were talking about earlier, if you try and please everybody in the crowd, you're going to walk away unhappy. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So I think I've just been doing it long enough and I've been on stage enough times where I'm just like, hope this goes well. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it's okay. Yeah. You know, Mike Birbiglia um, always said something that stuck with me and he, he goes, when I was on the road for the first time, I got to my hotel room and I was so excited and I had a hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. And he's getting ready to leave for the show and he's super nervous. Mm -hmm. And he just like looked in the mirror and he said, no matter what happens at that show, I get to come back to this hotel room. Yeah. So who cares? That's paid for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah. Just do your thing. Yeah. I'm just excited to get like 40 bucks sometimes. Right. (laughs) I mean, I'm at that point. Like I'm, cause I'm like really slowly easing into it. I'm not, I'm trying not to, uh, Bite out more than I can chew. I mean, not trying to jump into. I'm. I've only done a few feature spots. I'm mostly just open and hosted, which mm-hmm. is fine with me. Makes like, you a better comic hosting. I like hosting. Yeah. yeah, I've gotten way better because of hosting. I thought you did a great job on Tuesday because you was it was so cold to go up to that mic. I mean, oh yeah. You know the the bar had a bunch of people about 50 feet away yeah. and you were like, were they listening? Were they not listening? Well, you did something? a good job of being like. Hey guys, we're going to do an open mic. If you want to try comedy tonight, come sign up. We only have a couple people signed up, so we'll get you on. Um, Otherwise we're going to start in 10 minutes. Please head over this way. If you want to hear a comedy show. Yeah. And then you went up and you said, you introduced yourself, you introduced what the show was going to be. And then you said, this is an open mic. 
I'm also going to be trying new material. <laughs> yeah. And that you set the tone yeah, yeah. and, and you, you set the expectation of like, yeah, Matt Reif isn't walking in here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's pump the brakes. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You're going to watch people bomb. Yeah. And yeah, like maybe two of my jokes went okay. Great. Yeah. Now I know where I stand. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So you did a good job. I appreciate that. You brought up a buzz. You brought up the buzz name, Matt Reif. Everyone's talking about that guy right now. It's so, I don't know if I want to give him the time. Um, <laughs> I don't have a problem with him. Uh, I, I get it. Like he, he blew up. Like it happens. These things happen. Um, just not to us. Yeah. Just not to us. Like the way he blew up was so ridiculous too. Like it was just so quick. Like, yeah. Organic. But he also just like, it, it's also like he did, he wasn't like a, just some like YouTuber or something. Like he's actually done mics for like 11 years. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, all right. Yeah. Did his time. Yeah. I mean the, whatever the, the problem I have with everything is if you, if you are watching his special on Netflix and he says something that offends you, then watch something else. Yeah. But unfortunately, outrage is not only some people's identity, yeah, but it's an addiction. Oh, yeah. And so I get like the joke was so stupid. It was dumb. It so. wasn't funny. I like I didn't find it funny. Yeah. And but I wasn't sh- offended. I wasn't. I didn't care. But also yeah, like, like, but also, dude, that's how you open your Netflix special. That's not good. It's a bold move. And on the other hand, Netflix is the one that greenlit it. So why isn't everyone yelling at them? Yeah. They had to review it before they put it on their platform. Yep. So, I, I mean, his response to everyone being <laughs> offended was, you know, that's... He doubled down. Which, good. Yeah. You're not going to please everybody, dude. If you start apologizing to the crazy mob, you're never going to You're going to apologize forever. You're never going to win. So, I think people had a right to be offended. Yeah. But also just keep scrolling. Yeah. There's so many comedians. It wasn't for you. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't for me either. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't find him that funny, but yeah. um, I, I respect his hustle and I respect uh, how he, you know, got to where he's at. And, yeah. and I can't imagine the, the stress of becoming famous overnight. I mean, that that's to me, like I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, that would be, I would be, dude, I'd be so upset if I like went viral for something that people love, but then everyone starts digging through my Facebook and Instagram and, and just critiquing everything that oh. I've said or pictures I've posted. And because when I get served with Facebook memories from 2008, I'm like, who's this douchebag? Yeah. Shut up. I've deleted a lot of memories. I every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every day. I mean, yeah. I, I saw something that popped up on the other day and it was something I wrote in like 2009. And I was, it was like, people say you are what you eat, but I also think you are what you watch. And if you watch The Biggest Loser, what does that say about you? And I probably thought it was the funniest thing that anyone's ever said. And I cringed so hard <laughs> that I came and wanted to jump off my fucking balcony of my condo, but it's against HOA rules to kill yourself there. So I'm not allowed to do that. That's in the rules? No, I'm joking. <laughs> hey, but, I don't read the fine print. You know, what? like reading... And that's why I feel so fortunate that, okay, I'm 38. When I was in high school, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't, we didn't have social media. We didn't text. And so 
Yeah, you I were only, right. Yes. You were the last. Yes. Yeah, I'm like Little House on the Prairie now. Yeah. Like, so I, I can only imagine the things that I would have posted on Facebook in 2003 as, a, as an 18-year-old. I thought I was the funniest person in the world. Mm-hmm. Nobody was funnier than me. Nobody was wittier than me. No, dude. No, you're dumb when you're 18. Yeah. You're just an idiot. Very, and yeah. so if I can't stand what 24 year old Bob said, 18 year old Bob would have been, a, I'd be delete, 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 you know? Oh yeah. So yeah, you got out like you guys didn't, I had a, I think my senior year, my freshman year of college was when like I got a Blackberry. Yeah. The emails would be like sent with a Blackberry. I'm like, ooh, ooh yeah. Daddy Warbucks. Over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Well, I worked in, I worked at Best Buy and I worked with tech, so I would always get like the newest, latest thing usually. Um, oh, man. Yeah. If I could, Sorry. I had Facebook in two, uh, I think like 2007. So I was a junior yeah, in high school. Yeah, because you had to have. Oh, that's when they opened it that's up. That's when everybody. they opened it up to everybody. Yeah, that's right. Because I had I had Facebook, my t- second appointment in Iraq. Yeah. And I've deleted so many of those posts. I go back and delete stuff because I was like, thought I was cool posting me drinking and stuff. Because yeah. I'm flipping not- the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. Just stupid stuff. But, uh, oh, man. But there's also, like, I'll listen to, like, comedy sets I did when I was, like, five years ago. And I'm just like, really? Dude. That's not funny. Yeah. And I'm like, I wrote a gem here. Uh, yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. But that, I think that's part of growth, right? Like, if Or you, you find an old joke that works. True. I actually just remembered one. Uh, yeah. I was having trouble falling asleep last night. I remembered like a really quick joke I was like, that I used to tell. And I would go, yeah, I was holding the door open for a lady. And, uh, and I was like, how you doing today? And she goes, I'm blessed. And I thought that was so nice. And then she sneezed and I had no idea what to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Oh, bless you, Joe. Cute joke. Yeah, know? just it's a, a fun thing. joke. Yeah, I was I was out, I was out with somebody the other night, and uh, we were sitting at the end of the bar having a drink, and and this lady, like across the bar, sneezed, and it was one of the loudest sneezes I'd ever heard. And I go, it's a powerful one. Oh, dude. Yeah. I go, bless you, jeez. <laughs> and she, and the girl eyes, what she goes. Yeah, you didn't need to say geez after that. <laughs> yeah. She goes, kinda, re- she goes, I kind of negates the blessing part yeah, of it. You kind of <laughs> cancel out the bless. Yeah. You're like, dis- I was like, you're right. <laughs> disgusted yeah. by her sneeze. When I was in class, my favorite bit that I would always do is if somebody sneezed, I'd just like shush them really loud. <laughs> <laughs> no sneezing. Yeah. We don't do that here. So you talked about it actually a little bit the other day when I ran into you, you were talking about therapy. So, mm-hmm. and you said when you grew up, therapy wasn't really an option. And obviously when you're in the military, um, so when did, when did that come up where you're like, okay, I need to start. Like, yeah. Um, so probably like 2000, I think I was out of the military for like two years. And, uh, so I went to the VA and I was like, I need to talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah. So they set me up with a therapist and, um, so I was doing that while I was going to the University of Iowa, and then, um, and then I and then I did like a, a series of their cognitive behavioral therapy okay, sessions. Yeah. It was like a sixteen week thing that I did, and, and learned a lot of tools from that. Um, was that mainly to focus on? Yeah, it was just to like learn. It was to like hopefully learn tools 
on how to manage depression and, and whatever else I was going through, PTSD. I was going to say, there's got to be some PTSD. Oh, there. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the problem with getting your therapy through the VA, and this is at least how it works for me, is they'll like give you 12 to 16 session blocks. Mm -hmm. And then once you make it through that, then you got to like take break and then like you can restart it again, but you always have to get like referred. So it's, mm. I've, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and bash the VA healthcare because I've always had a great experience with them. I know not every veteran can say that, but yeah. I've always, I felt had really good care and they listen and, you know, put me in touch with who I need to be put in touch with. It's just the way they do their therapy. And also like, you know, we're comparing my PTSD versus guys that like lost limbs and tons of friends and, yeah, you know, like witness that kicking doors in and things like yeah. that, you know? Um, so I am realistic about where I stand in the, in the waiting line, you know, but they've never turned me down, but I just always thought I'd benefit from like continuous therapy. But, but what I found was the therapy would only do so much for me. Mm. Um, it gave me the tools, um, and then it's up to you to use them. Yeah. Excuse me. But it didn't, I never felt like, man, I'm a lot better. I never felt cured, not cured. No, right. But I never felt like consistently better. I always, I always still felt like that dark passenger was there, you know, telling me like, oh, let's just, let's just get day drunk and, you know, just be destructive and, you know, you don't deserve to be successful and like Ooh. just, you know, that type self -sabotage of stuff. Self-sabotage stuff? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's fucking self-sabotage. Yeah, because let's destroy some stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're enjoying yourself? <laughs> we'll yeah. be the judge of that. Yeah. And so I was just going through these high highs and low lows, you know, and just a vicious cycle. And then, uh, I started dating my ex-wife and she is so emotionally mature and she doesn't really, I'm not going to say she doesn't understand depression, but she just has never really experienced it. Yeah. Know? And, but she like, can't relate. Not really, but she also like learned very early on the tools to manage all that stuff. And she's really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was just a fucking train wreck, you know, and, and she finally was just like, something's got to happen. Like I can't put up with this. And yeah. so then I got serious about therapy again. And then it just still wasn't, it just wasn't continuous enough. You know, like I never felt like it was, I felt like it was a part of what I needed, but, it, and I just didn't know what to do. It didn't fill the cup up all the way. Yeah. No. So, so then I was, um, I was sharing an office with, with this guy and he asked me, he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, Oh, I don't really have, he's like, will you drive me to Chicago? I'm going to do a ketamine treatment and I need you to drive me there and drive me back. I said, yeah, no problem. Were you like, what the hell is that? Yeah, I like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's a party drug. I was like, like uh, you going through the going to K hole? Or? Yeah, I didn't know, yeah. and I didn't really know going anything. To a rave? I yeah. mean, I didn't really know anything about ketamine. Like, I'm not a big drug guy or anything like that. And but that's when you hear about it. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So I took him, and uh, and so you know, the two and a half hour drive back. He's this just, was this was roughly around what time? This was probably 2018 ish. Okay. So I was going to say, ketamine therapy hasn't been a thing for that long. Mm -hmm. So, yep. And so he's kind of explaining it to me. I go, man, I feel like I could benefit from that. So I started doing a little research and it was like 
PTSD, depression, anxiety, pain, all that I stuff. All that, yeah. I go, yeah, check, check, check. Yeah. So then uh, the Quad Cities Ketamine Clinic opened. Yep. And so I, I did my consult. They, you know, you have to get referred by a psychologist. And uh, I remember, I remember doing my evaluation, and the psychologist was asking me a bunch of questions, and and some some stuff about like my childhood came up, and I remember I gave him an answer to one of his questions. And you remember the movie Office Space when mm-hmm. Peter goes to hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. and and the therapist is like, because Peter goes every day when I wake up is the worst day of my life. And he goes, is today the worst day of your life? And Peter goes, yeah. He goes, wow, that's messed up. <laughs> like, that's what this guy did to me. Like, I said something. He goes, wow, that's messed up. And he's yeah. like, you're a, a candidate for this. You qualify. You know? yeah. yeah, you're good. Yeah. So then I I did. Uh, so the way it worked was I you have to do um, six sessions within the first three weeks or something like that. Mm. And it's expensive. Yeah. But because uh, I'm a veteran, I got uh, I got a discount. Okay. That's cool. Which is great. Because insurance is like, eh, we're not touching that yet. Not yet, no. Yeah, um, I knew that. So at that point in time, it was two thousand. I'm sorry, it was three thousand dollars for the six sessions, but it was twenty five hundred if you paid for them all up front. Oh, okay. And then I got fifteen percent off of that, so it was like twenty one hundred something is okay. what I ended up paying for those. And I was like, okay, this is going to be worth it because I'm. I don't want to offend anyone, but like I'm so against. Uh, prescription medication and antidepressants and things like that. Like it just wouldn't never be something that I would use as a tool to help my depression because of all the side effects. And I, I tried one, one time. I was going to say, have you tried one? Yeah, I tried one one time and I just didn't like it completely ruined my personality. Like I was just so zombied. Yeah, dude. And, and I get what you're saying. I'm trying to slowly get myself off of them, but I was, I've been on them so long. Yeah. It's like one of those things. It's such a, and I just was, you know, I just, I know, like, I'm not a specialist. I'm not an expert. Yeah. And I don't, again, if it works for you, great. Yeah. But there's some not, people I know. Yeah. I'm like, keep taking Dude, it. I was like, I woke up in my kitchen, you know, and like, it just like things, oh. things weren't working the way they're supposed to. And, and I'm like, I don't even take Tylenol and stuff like that very often, you know, a couple times a year, maybe. I'm just not a big medication guy. You know, yeah. I'm not sitting here like I'm some Christian scientist where like if my kid had needed a lung transplant, I'm like, we'll pray on it. Yeah. You know, I'm not like that. No. But, but I needed something. And so um, I was doing all this research and then um, I went to my first session and immediately after the first session, I felt the difference. So describe how the session goes. Because I've heard about it and I, Dan talked about it a little bit, but mm-hmm. that was like a it was a year almost a year ago that i had dan on okay so yeah for and i kind of i would like to learn more about it i know my listeners were like so how yeah describe that first session and kind of how it works because i you know a lot of people don't really know how it works um so i show up and then you fill out a questionnaire and it's basically like a phq of like where you at on the depression scale you know smiley faces (laughs) yeah Yeah. show us on this chart yeah and so you you know you score your uh your questionnaire and um and then they kind of use it as a benchmark of like, all right, we're going to use this to like see what kind of progress you're going to make. Yeah. And then you go in the room and you sit in a recliner and they give you um, some anti-nausea medication mm-hmm. and then they inject you with B12. Okay. And then, um, and then that first session is they want to figure out what your dosage is going to be. And it's a lot of it's based off of your body weight and things along those lines. So I kind of like anesthesia. 
I think, yeah, because a lot of the, I mean, there are people that work in this clinic that are anesthesiologists and um, nurse practitioners. And so it's a very professional environment, but they were brand new. And so like, I think they were still kind of working on a lot of the kinks of being a new business. You yeah. Know? And so then um, I brought an eye mask and I brought noise canceling headphones and I went on Spotify and I found like a ketamine playlist. Okay. And it's all instrumental. Yeah. And I remember leaving that first session and you're very out of it. Like I'm very wobbly and it's hard to walk and your head, just your brain is not firing on all cylinders. Right. Because you just tripped your balls off for 45 minutes. And so the first session, like I had done mushrooms before. And, um, so I kind of knew what to expect as far as like a hallucinogen goes, but I've never had an IV of ketamine before. And, at first I start tasting it in the back of my throat and then your body gets really relaxed. And I always lay with like my hands on the hand armrest and I have my legs propped up so that if I ever don't feel like I'm in reality, I can wiggle my toes and touch something. Mm-hmm. And cause I'm in complete darkness, how I want it. And the visual, I mean, I could picture people and interactions and, and what it did was during that first session is it made me appreciate every person in my life who's contributed in a positive way. And what ketamine did for me was it said, this is what you think is stressing you out. This isn't stressing you out. This is actually what's stressing you out. And then it just it's like, deeper. yeah, and it laid out like two options. And it was like, do you want to handle this or do you not care that much? And just let it go. Right. And a lot of it's like personal relationships and, and things yeah. like that. And then I, I did my six sessions and, and I was like, I am changed. Like it's not a cure, but wow. I mean, the, for those, for those you listening that have anxiety where something happens and your whole body starts buzzing and your heart starts racing and you feel the walls closing in ketamine eliminates a hundred percent of that. So my brain would have a thought that would then cause my body to react with that anxiety and it's gone. And then it allowed me to process it and get over it. So when you've gone through trauma and PTSD and, and, and whatever you've gone through, you know, the, your brain, the, the neurons stop firing, they just die, right? They're, they're done. And so what would happen to me is I would just react so quickly, so quickly to something. It's usually an anger or, um, it has to be done my way. And, and after I started doing ketamine, it was like those neurons start firing again and it creates brain plasticity and it's very healthy. And it's like, that kind of is what happens when you get good night's sleep, right? Uh, your brain is able to re you know, recharge. Exactly. Yeah. And so now when something happens, it's almost like time slows down. And I'm able to see the problem. A, yeah. And now, now I have 20 new pathways that are allowing me to think very quickly of how am I going to handle this? And so I'm a lot more chill, um, alert, alert, humble, not totally humble yet, but we're working on that. <laughs> working on that. Yeah. I do yeah. love me some BRB. Um, yeah. and I'm easier to be around. I'm, I'm happier. I, I love life more. I, I'm more motivated to 
do better with my career, help others, um, leave the house, you know? And so then ketamine, the mistake I made with it was I, I started going through my divorce and I didn't want to do ketamine while I was going through that hmm. because it always, I knew I was having, I knew, I knew we weren't meant to be married. I, you know, I'll always love her. We are still very good friends. And I think it'll remain that way. For yeah, when we talked when you were talking the other day, I was like, "This is the most casual divorce talk I've ever heard yeah. in my life." I mean, don't get me wrong; there were some very dark parts of it. But yeah, I didn't want to. I wanted to raw dog my divorce. Basically, I wanted to. Oh, go you through. wanted to feel all yes, yeah. And because ketamine would be like, "All right, it's not that big of you know," and yeah. I, but I knew deep down like this wasn't meant to be. But I went like nine months without it. And how and, long were you married? Uh, four years, almost five years. And, um, so I went too long without it Mm. and I was like really, really depressed. And I was, now I live alone and I don't have anyone to be responsible to. So I'm going out every night and just getting hammered and now I'm sleeping in and now I feel like shit. And yeah, the vicious cycle started again, the, the self-sabotage, the, the downward spiral and I was like, okay, I got to I got to go do ketamine again, you know. But the problem was I didn't have a plan. I was like, this is just going to fix me again. Oh. And that's not how it works. Like you have to go in with intention. Yeah, Dan said the same thing. You have to go in with like a something you're going to work on exactly. or a game plan. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Focus on something. Now the now the the journey may take you elsewhere and it may take you to things like I said earlier like that you didn't realize were a problem. So the first session I did, I felt worse. Mm. Well, I hadn't been to care of my body. I wasn't hydrated. I wasn't sleeping. Ooh. So what are some of the qualifications as far as like, do you not have, like say I was on medication and wanted to go there with, would you have to be completely off of your medication? I don't know about you that. You don't know about yeah. that. Yeah. They ask you what medication yeah, yeah. you're on. So, and that would be something you'd talk to your psychologist about when they give you the consult. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Cause I had talked to her about it a little bit, but, but we, they, she do, talked about it a different way. Like, uh, it's called Mind Bloom. Have you heard of that one? I have, yeah. Where you take it at home, um, mm-hmm. or there's other ways where you can. I could take it with her in the room, right. and we like do a session. Yeah, like, that's wild. Yeah, I don't want anyone in the room with me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So then I went back, and when I went back the second time, I I remember I got home. And usually like, I just need to like lay down for a little bit. Cause you're a little out of it. Yeah. And, and I, and they say like, don't make any big decisions. Like I don't work. Like I don't, I let my clients know like, Hey, I have a doctor's appointment today and I'm going to be out of commission afterwards. So if you need anything and I always do the last appointment of the day, so I yeah. get all my stuff done yeah. and then guilt-free have that night, you know? Yeah. And I remember I got home and I turned on the TV and the movie Arrival is on Netflix. I've not seen this. Yet. I had I had seen it before, but watching it a second time is a completely different experience. Hmm. And I started bawling my eyes out. Is that a military movie? Uh, not really. Like it's a linguist. Uh, seven alien pods touch down across the Earth, and this linguist is then in charge of like trying to communicate with them. So it's like a it's a sci fi. Yeah. Okay. But that is like just the subplot. Yeah, mean, yeah. There's so much. There's more. layers. And, and when you watch the movie, 
everything clicks at the end. But then if you go in watching it the second time, you know what happens at the end and you start seeing everything that's leading up to it. And it's very emotional. And I start bawling my eyes out. I'm like watching this movie starring Amy Adams. Yeah. Bawling my eyes out. And I like, I mean, uncontrollably, uncontrollably crying. You had it built up. Dude, like couldn't breathe. Um, just sobbing. My cat's like, bro, <laughs> what is happening here? Like, maybe your dad was right. <laughs> yeah. He's gay. Yeah. And, uh, is this my house now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so I just remember being like, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. Like I let myself slip back and the ketamine's not working. So something, something else has to give. And I was like, okay, what am I not doing in my life? Um, I wasn't working out. I wasn't. It's a big one. I wasn't uh, eating right. I wasn't sleeping right. Drinking too much. Drinking way too much. Yeah. Way too much. And I wasn't happy with the way I looked. So I wasn't happy with, I wasn't happy with anything. Yeah. I was just just miserable. Yeah. And I think a lot of it was like, it was almost like a delayed reaction to the divorce where like, it all just kind of like hit me at once. You know, I was like, dude, you just fucked up your whole life. You had so many good things going. Like you're such an idiot and you know, blah, blah, blah. But, I wasn't reality, you know, yeah. I was just a depressed guy in me, like making excuses, catastrophizing it. So then I said to myself, okay, even if I don't have somewhere to be, I'm going to get up early. So I set an alarm every morning and then I started, whether I, whether I was able to, or like whether I wanted to or not, I woke yeah. up at the same time. And I've been waking up at the same time every morning. And I would say five out of the seven days a week, I go for a three mile walk, like right when I wake up. And I come back feeling amazing. Mm-hmm. Then I have some coffee, take a shower, stretch. Then I go to the office. And now I'm like at the office with a purpose and, and intent and connecting with clients. And now the business starts picking back up. And now I'm better to be around. Now I, you know, things like that. And so then I start going to the gym three, four days a week. And and I love lifting weights. And so I started doing that again. I'm eating better now because I'm working out more. I don't want to feel like shit all the time. So I yeah. start eating better, sleeping better. Well, weird. Weird how all of that yeah. comes together and you feel night and day, right? Mm-hmm. So then my last ketamine session that I had was hands down the best one I've ever had in the last, what, five years that I've been doing this. And when was this? A couple weeks, like two weeks ago, a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um everything clicked everything clicked man like the the work that i had been putting in leading up to that the fact that i scheduled it before i would have needed it right because i'm going every four to six weeks and i went like three and a half weeks and i was in a great mood when i got there i felt good i had i'm hydrated i slept great the night before i wasn't i hadn't drank in a couple days like four or five days um and it was the, it was so good, dude. Like it, it shot me into the stratosphere of like positivity, healthy living. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to ever go back and feel any other way than the way I feel right now. That is not going to happen. Yeah. You're just like, this is how I want to feel. Yeah. And this isn't fake. This isn't, this isn't manufactured, but this was with intent and purpose of yeah. like, it is not my fault, but it's my responsibility. Yeah. Just because someone cut me doesn't mean I get to fucking bleed all over everybody. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? And I don't think that happiness is always a choice. I hate when people say that. Happiness is a choice. Yeah, I don't like that either. But I do think that you have a say in it. 
Yeah, yeah. And I do think that a lot of people that suffer from severe depression and, and everything else that we've been talking about, it's so hard to take that first step. And it's so hard to admit to yourself that you carry a lot of the responsibility of how you're going to fix this. Oh, yeah. And it's easy to blame others. And yes, Way easier. something happened to you. I understand. And it wasn't your fault. Yeah. And I'm sorry. But you can't live like this. Like yeah. you, you have to be a productive member of society. You for yourself and, yeah. and for your family and, and for whatever else. Whatever yeah. what other whatever your why is. And my why is I like the way that I feel right now and mm-hmm. that I have felt for the last month or whatever. And I'm not gonna stop doing what I'm doing. I won't allow I won't allow it because any other way to live is just complete self destruction and spiraling and so that's that's what it's done for me you know um i don't think it's for everybody i've had some really bad trips but they were my one of them was not my fault one they gave me too much (laughs) oh really dude like yeah dude they gave me like they gave me too much and i hadn't been for a long time this Mm. is like after my nine month break so my tolerance wasn't there and my body was vibrating so hard that I could, it was loud. Mm. And I, I go, can you guys turn the massage thing off in the chair? They're like, yeah, it's not on. And I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's just my body. I just think if it's something that you're interested in, do your research. Yeah. Talk to somebody, talk to an expert. Yeah. I am not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I am not a psychiatrist, psychologist, anything like that. But I've, I have my experience and, Yeah, and this is what's worked for me. But I just really think it comes down. You got to move, man. Like even just going for a 15 minute walk will change your entire mood. Oh yeah. Change your entire mood. Break a sweat. Yeah. Do something you enjoy. If you like cooking, go buy ingredients for something you haven't made in a year. Make it a project. Have a purpose. And one thing I told myself when I, when I bought my condo and like, I'm like, nobody wants to fucking live in a condo. Dude, this is terrible. (laughs) I made a deal with myself that I would leave every day, uh, whether it's to go walk around the block, go to the gas station, so leave every day. Don't sit there. I have to do that working from home. I, yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's what works for me, man. So, I don't know. Well, I appreciate it, man. We are uh, did a good amount of time, so. Um, Are you asking me to leave? I'm not asking you to leave. I'm saying we got to wrap it up just because uh, I try to keep it between an hour, hour and a half, um, just because I'm not Rogan. No, uh, I know. And I, 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 yeah, I could talk all day. Well, that's the thing about is, myself. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, it's, it's tough to be like, yeah, it's tough to really draw the line with some of these episodes. It's like, we could talk about so much, so many different things, but I appreciate you describing that because I was like, how does it really work? Like, so basically what I've gathered is you basically like to sum it up in one sentence, ketamine therapy is basically having a therapy session with yourself. Some, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. And I don't know if everyone has that experience, but that's what happens to me. And you're kind of like, I would just say like the music you choose is very important because it, it, you know, your body's going to start move, like feeling like it's floating and moving. And like, you ever see like how they make like taffy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like my body's like folding into itself. Oh, okay. And it's very like, and the song will change that, right? It'll like I'll either see like brightness and stuff like that, or like it'll get dark, and and so I've really kind of curated 
a playlist that works where mm. it's really it's good instrumental stuff but it's not like dark depressing yeah you know things like that like i was listening to a lot of like max richter who's one of my favorite composers but his stuff is very dark you know um yeah, yeah. on the nature of daylight is one of my favorite songs by him and it's used in movies and, and things like that but it's like such an emotional song like i can't listen to it while i'm in my session yeah so i would just recommend that people in spotify has a lot of different lists ketamine piano playlist is a great one um do some people do no music uh yeah yeah dan actually told me he did one with no music one time yeah. but the, the reason why i wouldn't do that is because i can hear everything out in like the lobby mm, and i can hear, i can hear the staff like chatting you know yeah, while yeah. they're waiting for us to stop tripping our uh, yeah and so it wouldn't be i wouldn't do it i i thought about doing like brown noise or green noise or something like yeah i i think i just like my playlist you know yeah but do your research go in with intent um don't drink a couple at least a couple days before it and don't and if you like smoking pot like i do like i i don't smoke a lot anymore like before i go to bed or something but i make sure like at least the day before my session i'm not smoking because it's the, the alcohol in the in the in the marijuana is going to utilize the same parts of your brain that is trying to be repaired by the ketamine, yeah. and you don't want to over ex, extend them or, or whatever the word I'm looking for there is. So just going clean, going with intent, find some good music, and and like journaling about it's helped a lot too. You know, because sometimes you forget. Like I'm, you know, you can. Do you like be like go home and journal or yeah. like okay, yeah, so you don't forget. Yeah, yeah, and I. I will, I will admit like I have yet to go back and like read through a lot of that stuff. Cause I'm kind of just like, to get it out. It's kind of yeah. like watching old stand up videos of myself. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if I want to read that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause a lot of it's probably nonsense, but especially if you're still kind of out of it. <laughs> oh, and you are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, you, you get home. I, oh, and I'm sorry. I do need to say, put your phone on airplane mode while you're in your oh, yeah. don't session. Get, yeah. Cause of course my phone's on do not disturb right now and, yeah. it's, and it's ringing. So like that happened to me in a session oh, where totally I just put it on off. do not disturb. And then my phone rang through my headphones and then it like auto answered. And I was like, I did, I was, it was so deep in my, like I was so deep into, it, I didn't know how to like turn it off and it ruined the whole. Uh, and sad. then I was like mad at the person for calling me. Like they knew. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. So, yeah. But turn, put your phone on airplane mode, bring an eye mask, bring good headphones and uh, download the playlist to your phone and just it's fun man there's some there i really enjoy it too because like i love tripping <laughs> it's yeah great so yeah. and then also they say even if you didn't feel like you had a good trip it did its job like it still is going to develop that brain plasticity and it's still going to do what it's supposed to do it's just not every trip's going to be great probably yeah so not gonna be life-changing every time no no well i appreciate it man thanks for having me dude. yeah appreciate it's it fun yeah and you guys can follow me on Instagram. I post like once a week. Post like once <laughs> a week. Bobby Ray Bunch. Yeah, yeah. I'll put the put the links in the description for you. 